In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you for joining us today online. Um, we're going to apologize in advance for any technical difficulties, as this is the first time we're attempting this. Uh, but we do thank you for coming in. And um, just a few words here before we begin the sermon about what's been going on and what we're trying to accomplish here with these online systems that we're doing here. Um, So first of all, I hope everyone is staying safe during these times, these strange days that we're uh, going through. It's, a, it's difficult for all the Coptic Christians all across the world, uh, whether you believe that the church should stay open or whether you believe that it's the only logical and smart and socially uh, intelligent thing to do. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult for everyone, um, uh, for all of us to endure not being able to take communion, the true body and blood of Christ, not being able to offer prayers in the church. Uh, especially in the building and not having the fellowship with each other. Uh, I personally miss that myself. Uh, the comfort we receive from going to church and partaking of the communion uh, and that unity with God that we all have and with each other through worship in the church was taken away from us, but it was only for a period of time. We may have felt that um, maybe even that we took it for granted, and that's a normal thing to feel. Um, and we, maybe we did take it for granted. And, and these things kind of remind us how precious the time we have together at church and the value of the communion that we take at church. And so that when we do get it back, we'll, these things will have greater uh, attention and value for us. But God has provided us many means to overcome this issue. First, we remember that it is just for a time and this dark cloud will pass, God willing. And also we remember that those who have gone before us, many times through persecutions, the Christians were not allowed to celebrate the liturgy or take communion. One example that comes to mind is at the time of St. Athanasius in the fourth century, when the followers of Arius took the churches by force uh, through political means and with soldiers. And the people were very sad and, and depressed that they couldn't go into the churches and celebrate the liturgies and have fellowship with each other. So we have one of the letters of St. Athanasius, and I'll read you a portion of it that uh, talks about um, what his response is to this very sad congregation. So he says, may God console you. What saddens you is the fact that you have occupied the churches by, is the fact that they have occupied the churches by violence while during this time you were on the outside. It is, it is a fact that they have the premises, but you have the apostolic faith. They can occupy our churches, but they are outside the true faith. You remain outside the places of worship, but the faith dwells within you. Let us consider what is more important, the place or the faith? The true faith, obviously. Who has lost and who has won in the struggle? The one who keeps the premises or the one who keeps the faith? True, the premises are good when the apostolic faith is preached there. No one ever will prevail against your faith, however. Beloved brothers, and we believe that God will give us our churches back someday soon. And these, you know, now it's not soldiers that have taken over the churches, but at the same time, we see the same spirit. That we know that this is the kind of faith that will secure us and will uh, nourish us and keep us until the churches are restored to us again one day. So what does that mean? It means that we fast and pray, especially as this event is occurring during Lent. Um, it means that we focus our newfound gift of time with our families and, and focus our families towards Christ. It means that we look with eagerness when we 
when the churches will uh, be open again and we return there and we rejoice in that day, it means that we, um, we trust in Christ and who takes care of us, of course. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of, but of power and of love and of a strong mind. So God willing, we'll have various online programs that the whole family can participate in through this teleconferencing uh, process. And we're going to work out the bugs as we progress so we can put the faith of the church into practice while the building is temporarily closed for us. So in short, Bible studies, uh, the diocese-wide meetings will be available through our website. <clears throat> Every day at 7 p.m., we'll be praying the 11th hour of the Igbeya for 20 minutes or so um, at 7 p.m. every day starting today. And uh, Sunday school will be continuing as well. So please encourage your kids to attend the online uh, Sunday schools, which will occur immediately after this uh, sermon so that the kids uh, through their Sunday school servants will be able to attend. Um, as well as every Sunday here at 11 o'clock, we'll read the Sunday readings and have a sermon just like we're doing now. So let's take it seriously and consistency so long as this lasts. And let's not, uh, and let's try to fast until then as well. Uh, please visit the church's website for more information and try to attend as many of these meetings as you can, uh, mainly because I miss you guys so much. It'd be nice to see you. Uh, God bless you all and pray for me and the church. And if you have any questions or concerns regarding this, please feel free to contact me directly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So today's reading is from the fourth Sunday of Great Lent, and the gospel reading is focused on the story, the famous story of the Samaritan woman. We read the story of the Samaritan woman three times on Sundays during the church calendar, uh, once during the fourth Sunday of Lent, which is today, and on Pentecost during the third prostration, and one during the Holy 50 Days. So it's an important gospel, and we read it uh, frequently in the church. Uh, we have now completed four of the eight weeks of the Great Fasting, so we're about halfway through the journey of the Great Lent. And because, as we have been speaking of in the past few weeks during the sermons, the Holy Great Lent is like a spiritual journey marked by various milestones. And these milestones become, as it were, a model for our spiritual goals and life uh, throughout our life. So the, in the first week we read, as in any journey, we need to make a commitment as to what the destination of that journey will be. And so we commit to walk in a certain direction so that we can reach that destination. So we read that we should lay treasures not on earth but in heaven because Christ is the goal of the journey. And we should have our eyes always on that finish line, on the destination, and not be distracted along the way. In the second week, we read about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. And that we should always be prepared that whenever we set our mind on any spiritual task, especially a spiritual journey uh, with seriousness, we can expect extraordinary trials and temptations and tribulations during this journey as our enemy attempts to fight those who are committed, right? So once we become committed, that's when the challenge begins. And so we must even be prepared to fall once in a while because, uh, you know, that's the nature of the hu human uh, uh, existence is to fall but also to get back up again which is why in the third week last week we read about returning to god uh, when we fall with the beautiful beautiful story of the prodigal son and the father of the prodigal son who accepted his fallen son and repentant son lovingly gently and with great honor and so today we learn that after we get back up on this journey we continue in the spiritual journey and like any journey we need nourishment along the way so today we read about the Samaritan woman who was promised along with all of us 
to receive from Christ that water that will allow us to never thirst. The story begins with Christ being thirsty and therefore stops at the well awaiting the Samaritan woman. And when she arrives, he asks her for a drink and thereby, thereby starting a dialogue, a very gentle dialogue with the Samaritan woman. The dialogue only has six responses from the woman. But in each of them, you see her increasing more and more from the cares of this life to a more spiritual state. Ultimately, the dialogue leads to an amazing uh, one of the most amazing and most beautiful stories of repentance of a woman who had five husbands and who later preached to the whole city of Samaria. So it starts with her first response to Christ, requesting a drink of water, saying, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Christ does not answer the question, but begins to turn her attention to the true source of nourishment and refreshment, which is the grace of the Holy Spirit. If you knew the gift of God, who it is, that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then her second response, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? So now she turns her attention from the water to biblical saints, right? The saints of, old, of the Old Testament. And the discussion is now regarding tradition and scripture. However, Christ still, because she's not still of good understanding, still does not answer her second question and um, directly anyways, but says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so she gives her third response, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Little by little, she's increasing in her spiritual understanding. Now in this third response, asking for the living water, she doesn't know what it is yet she still thinks it's a type of water that she doesn't have to draw well or draw from the well she still thinks that christ is offering her that material water but acknowledge its superiority over the water that she is drawing from the well of jacob and therefore acknowledges that christ is superior to jacob so slowly and slowly she's maturing spiritually so christ still does not directly answer her third response which was a request, but rather says, and kind of very abruptly changing the topic, go call your husband and come here. So she says in her fourth response, I have no husband. Christ now responds directly to her comment, miraculously revealing his power that he, that she has five husbands and that the one she is staying with is not her husband. So the conversation went from seeking this water that would allow her not to walk and draw from the well to an acknowledgement that she has five husbands. At this point in her life, she was probably feeling very guilty, lonely, humiliated, lost, scared, empty, not loved, and probably on the verge of despair. But she didn't get annoyed, though. To her credit, she didn't get annoyed that her sins were revealed to him. And she didn't run away, but continued this gentle dialogue. She is now starting to understand who he is and the message of the superior water that Christ is offering, that of indescribable love, of course, and redemption that he was offering. So in, his, in her fifth response, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. 
She was very sensitive. Sensitivity in the spiritual life is very important. There are many miracles in our lives, many things to be thankful for, many gentle reminders or rebukes that God sends, and many things that even affect society as a whole, as we're experiencing today. Many beautiful reflections of Christ that we don't pay attention to. Consequently, sometimes God may use even harsher and more piercing reminders of his presence and for us to return to him. Such, for example, was the case when uh, Jonah swallowed, was swallowed by the whale. And as we discussed last week, Jonah, even after being swallowed, didn't start lifting up his heart to God until the third day. Sometimes we are so stubborn and, and hard-headed that it takes many or big um, tribulations to hit us before we finally raise up our hearts to God. So sometimes God sends us very big whales to swallow us. Even sometimes as we're experiencing these days, whales that can swallow, that are big enough to swallow the whole world. We as God's people need to be though sensitive and lift up our hearts with him when we're swallowed by these whales of tribulation or we're reminded gently so that we're sensitive enough to hear God's voice and return to him quickly. So here the Samaritan woman, though, shows great spiritual sensitivity, wisdom. She shows faith, humbleness at the Lord's very gentle rebuke. He didn't rebuke her harshly, but was very gentle with her regarding her five husbands and the one she was staying with currently. We should react the same way as the Samaritan woman, even proactively praying for God to reveal the weaknesses in us before he has to reveal it through any kind of tribulation. We ask him to reveal it. Uh, to us so that we can quickly try to repent and change our life and change direction and get back on the spiritual journey. But she asked regarding where one ought to worship. He responds saying, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father and, and that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is an amazing and high level doctrine that Christ revealed to her, that people should worship her, worship God the Father in spirit and truth. So one reaches God, of course, spiritually, not carnally or not physically with the body, but through the spirit, only when the spirit leads. He teaches her that worship needs to be spiritual, not earthly, and in truth and in purity. And finally, her sixth response, I know that Messiah is coming. For the Samaritans who only followed the writings of Moses from his writings were expecting the Messiah. Christ responded, I am he. So she went from a sinful, ignorant stage to an enlightened and repentant stage with a simple and short dialogue with Christ. She then went, of course, and preached to the whole city and many believed in Christ after uh, this very gentle dialogue that only had six responses. We read this before the Pentecost as well, because in anticipation of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit has many names and symbols in the Old and the New Testament, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Seal of the Believers, Teacher, Witness, etc. He also has many symbols, such as the Dove and the Theophany, or the Baptism of Christ, anointing oil. He takes the form of a wind, cloud, breath of life, and also fire and water, as we, as we talked about today. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire, St. John the Baptist says, Christ will baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here today, uh, St. John the Evangelist calls the Holy Spirit water. Similar to uh, later in the gospel where he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
So the symbolic way of describing the Holy Spirit's work in our life uh, is a standard in the Holy uh, Scriptures. Fire means zeal, warming, power to destroy sin, but water is cleansing. It's gentle uh, as it erodes a valley very slowly. It's refreshing and it's nourishing. The Holy Spirit in our lives is as water. It, um, for both sinners and saints, they thirst for something. One thirsts for the lust of the flesh, while the other thirsts for the spiritual life and the divine knowledge. So once a, the Samaritan woman realized the superiority of the water that Christ was offering, she began to thirst for it, and in the end tasted firsthand that the Lord is good. In Psalm 34, 8, it says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who thirsts for him and who trusts in him. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. She tasted firsthand the refreshing and nourishing results of the Holy Spirit and couldn't help but to preach. And that's how we are too. When we truly encounter Christ, we can't help but to talk about it. We can't help but to share it with those in our sphere of life, whether they're at school or whether they're at work or even among our family. It's like when you taste something that's really tasty, you can't help but to talk about it, you know, about this uh, great menu item at this restaurant or something like that, where you really experience something sweet or something good, you need to share it. And that's how it is when we experience Christ. We can't help but to preach. So then how do we receive such spiritual nourishment that flows from the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of us as baptized believers? Our Orthodox Christian faith, faith points us to many of these fountains of grace. They're very practical, that is given to us freely and without limit. Firstly, the sacraments. Grace is freely given and made available by the Holy Spirit through the physical material of the sacraments. Baptism, chrismation, the Eucharist, the confession, we all experience this grace freely and we're not worthy of them, but God gives it to us and we take on the righteousness of Christ. The entire life of the church is sacramental in that Christ is constantly taking our material world and our life, the, the grossly inferior part of our lives and return and in return granting us the life-giving sources of grace things that are incomparably better so it's a taste of the heavenly life through the sacraments things that the angels desire to look into we encounter the creator of the universe through these sacraments and he provides us with the means to prevent cure overcome corruption and sin especially on the last day and onto eternal life Another source of spiritual nourishment that the church offers is reading. The first, of, first and foremost, of course, is reading of the Holy Scriptures. We should always have an open Bible in our house. We should read it daily. We should let it nourish our life, and we should always live by it through our, through our actions. We receive the good news in it that's contained in the Bible, uh, the good news, the comfort, the guidance, the hope, the reassurance that's contained inside the Scriptures. We read it in a spirit of prayer. But also we read spiritual readings, you know, like the, um, we have both modern writers and we have ancient writers that the church gives us to help us and to receive nourishment. Uh, these uh, ancient writers, of course, are a great benefit to our church. We have uh, writings from the first through fifth centuries, for example, the classical church fathers that are an amazing uh, spiritual benefit and um, we, we benefit greatly from them. And I encourage you all to explore the world of the church fathers and begin the reading therein. I guarantee you will not be the same person if you haven't done so already. Uh, many of these church fathers are available online for free. 
uh, I really encourage you to begin that journey of reading the Church Fathers. Another source of nourishment that the church offers is discipleship. When, um, when we're willing to lean and to learn and to be mentored by other people who are more experienced uh, spiritually, it's a great source of spiritual nourishment to, to learn from their, these spiritual giants who have walked before us, um, whether they're alive or they've left their lives uh, written down or their writings written down, we can be mentored by them, but also uh, those who are alive today um, and those spiritual guys like a father confessor or a spiritual father can lead us and help us to overcome our spiritual uh, challenges along the journey. Christ left us an example of discipleship when, uh, when he um, showed us a pattern of how he dealt with the apostles. And the apostles themselves took that and also turned others into disciples of themselves and onward throughout the millennia for 2,000 years. So this same apostolic spirit of mentorship and discipleship exists in our church, and we should benefit from them. Fourth, the church also gives us spiritual exercises. After we read these spiritual writings, and we learn about the church fathers, and we learn about their lives, and we read their writings and their exhortations to live an amazing life, um, the question comes, how do we put what we've read into practice. We know that those involved in the church education have two responsibilities, to educate and to animate. To educate with information is easy. You know, we learn a few things and we educate, but to animate others and to put these things into practice, that is a little bit more difficult. Uh, we must put what we've read into practice. And there's a few tools for that. There's a, a few uh, practical steps that we can do to put these things into practice. First, self-evaluation. Just like at any workplace, there are reoccurring performance evaluations aimed at increasing performance, and this is critical for the performance of any organization. In the spiritual life, this is also critical. Evaluating our life on a daily basis and from time to time discussing them with a father confessor is essential in the spiritual life. Um, so confession, we don't just receive the absolution, but we receive, more importantly, guidance and, and strength and, and uh, practical steps to overcoming any kind of spiritual obstacle. Uh, it provides time for ourselves to evaluate our life and discover what's working and what's not working. And what isn't working, we can make adjustments along the way. We don't make adjustments unless we first stop and pause and evaluate our lives. We analyze our relationships. We analyze how uh, we've been behaving towards others in our sphere of influence, what's hindering us and what is helping us so that we can increase those more and more. And, to, and we, we see that what adjustments we need to make to live a simple, holy and humble life. Fasting is another uh, great, excellent spiritual exercise as we're experiencing now during Lent. It enhances our relationship with God. All of all of the Old and New Testament saints fasted, so did our Lord Jesus Christ, and so did our fathers and mothers who came before us. We've seen its power, and it allows us to receive um, the word of God as with Moses. It stops the lion's mouths as with Daniel. It quenches the fires uh, that wouldn't burn us like the three holy youth. It allows us to receive the Holy Spirit in great abundance like in Pentecost. It, it helps us to overcome Satan and his demons as Christ showed when he was tempted and he was fasting. And even move mountains like we uh, experienced in the moving of the Makatan mountain. Another spiritual exercise, of course, is prayer. And now in this time more than ever, praying at home, which is a, a model of the church, 
uh, is critical. And we pray everywhere. We pray at work, we pray at school, we pray everywhere we are. We're constantly praying um, as we know that prayer is very effective uh, in overcoming our spiritual challenges and also impacting the world around us. I love the quote from St. Matthew the Poor. Um, well, not a saint yet, but uh, God willing soon to be, Matthew the Poor used to say that when you stand before God boldly, God cannot bear it. He grows weak before the sinner and is overcome. Grows weak before the sinner and is overcome. It's uh, kind of pro uh, provocative to say that, but we read it in the Old Testament when Moses was interceding for the sinful Israelites. God told Moses, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against him. As if Moses was holding back the wrath of God. Moses, because he was praying, was holding back God with all of his power. And God responded, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. Prayer is effective and heals, my, and heals any soul. Um, it also, we should, we should also ask others to pray for us. And, um, and I ask you to pray for me. And we pray for each other so that we're strengthened. And God sees this as an act of love and, and pours forth his grace on all of us. And other exercises the church instructs us, instructs us on as well. And there's also other sources of nourishment that Christ teaches us that we will receive refreshment if we practice them in our spiritual life, such as finding solitude uh, is another source of spiritual nourishment. Uh, it allows us to evaluate ourselves as we discussed earlier. And it also allows us to um, hear God because God is found in a quiet environment, not in a rowdy environment, even though he's there, it, we ourselves are limited from hearing him in a crowded and noisy environment. So it's good to find solitude from time to time and see Christ in, the, in your own closet in the quietness of solitude. Christ, of course, sets this example for us um, when he often has said in scriptures that he often retreated to a secluded place. Another uh, spiritual nourishment service, we encounter God in the service of others. He is still working for the salvation of all. So may God grant us this spiritual nourishment and may God protect us and be with us during this time and with our families. Uh, please stay safe and pray for the church and pray for me and let's pray for each other that God may um, keep us safe and give us the water that springs from him only and who dwells in each of us to whom be glory forever now and, and at all times on on to the ages of all ages. Amen. Um, we look forward to having all of your churches uh, all of your uh, children, sorry, serve in Sunday school. So the Sunday school servants should have already contacted you. Uh, if not, uh, let me know and we'll put you in touch with the Sunday school servant so that your kids can attend using the Zoom app. And with that, glory be to God forever. Amen. God be with you all.